Footy Time with Daniel Andrews, and I'm joined on the other line by Johnny Raff. How are we going, Johnny? Pleasure to be here as always, Dan. Oh, something's brewing with Melbourne. (laughs) (laughs) We're both at the G on Sunday. Yeah. It was an interesting day at the G. Um, Four seasons in one day, but uh, yeah, yeah. Did you get rained on? No, it was undercover, fortunately. Um, What about you? Uh, A little bit. You know that position in the G where you're kind of like half undercover and half not? So when it's raining heavier, you get hit, but when it's not, you don't. That was kind of me, but yeah, we we stayed out there and uh, enjoyed it immensely. Yeah. So what caught your eye in round four, Johnny? Oh, look, there were some really good performances. I mean, what what a round, Dan. I mean... Some close games, big results, and a timely reminder that it's silly to rule out a team four games into the season. Um, had some real good turnaround performances, um, but in particular, I had a few players that came to mind, but I can't get over this one. I've been thinking about how amazing this guy could possibly be. Nick Cox from Essendon. I mean, how is he not... How was he not taken higher in the draft ten? I mean, the guy's 200 centimetres. He's lightning quick. He ran a brilliant time trial and he kicks well on both feet he did look pretty good even that early like what what number did he go in the draft i think he was eight okay interesting yeah like he seemed to have it all like obviously the height and the dexterity he just looked like another midfielder really he was that nimble he just looks like the proto afl footballer if you were going to yeah. create one in a video game or something like that yeah <laughs> kind of like the the midfielder in like the nat five mold but instead of being 190 he's like 200 <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> so like i didn't see a lot of that game but he still does play like a big man though doesn't he but like he's just really agile he absolutely plays like a big man i mean he he's agile and he, he kicked a great goal on the run but he actually did go up in the ruck for um, for parts of the game and actually they sent him to the centre uh, center bounce in the last quarter when they were when the game was up for grabs. So he seems like someone that can do it all. It's interesting, like some of these guys, I think Luke Jackson's another one. It used to be that, you know, these taller guys took four or five years before they could really do much. But there's this new mould of 200 centimetre guy who just comes in and can have an impact straight away. Yeah, it's it's a new breed, I guess. These guys are just good with the ground ball and things like that and... Second effort, something I that they're looking like the the running ruckman, the midfield like midfield type ruckman is true. Yeah, so maybe the role is slowly changing, but maybe it's just another type of player. You can have that so sort of more bullocking ruckman, but you can have this more agile ruckman as well, who would be extremely valuable, I reckon. Absolutely. All right. Well, for me, in terms of what caught my eye, it's hard to go past Melbourne. <laughs> I don't want to make yeah. this the Melbourne podcast, but. Geez, Melbourne are actually playing like a team and like it's just something that stands out so much because it's been so long since I think you could really say that, you know, they have they are actually playing like a team. Absolutely, and really the key to come out of this is the I guess the mid tier contributors. I think you, you Charlie Spargo's and Alex Neil Bullens, um, we've spoken a lot about Cosy Pickett, but these guys are really making a difference and yeah, across the board effort. Yeah, it's not one, no one player. I think we referenced this in an earlier episode, but them talking about being less selfish. And you can really see that. They're doing the little things that not all teams do all the time. They're getting over to support. They're tackling hard. They're putting the pressure on, even when it's not them getting the ball. And uh, 
Yeah, it's great for a Melbourne team to actually be exhibiting some of these traits. <laughs> I sent it a, is good. I sent a it couple is. of texts after that game saying, you know, Melbourne might actually be good this year. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> time will tell. But yeah, it's best start since 1994, right? So that's got to, right. got to be a little bit excited. <laughs> I think, yeah, this was the biggest test so far. And, um, you know, Geelong did show a point of the game that they were coming, coming hard and they managed to keep a cool head and they got through it. So that was probably the most maturity. impressive thing. Like Melbourne really controlled the game, even though they're up against a quality opponent like Geelong. They never really gave them a chance. Like, yeah, they came back a little bit at the end of that third quarter and got within a couple of goals, but Melbourne always seemed to have the answers. And geez, they hit them hard at the end of that, uh, at the start of the last quarter. I think they got like the first three or four clearances, put a couple of goals on, and it was always going to be very hard after that. I think as good as the D's were, the Cats was a very, very interesting performance from them. I thought that some of their body language was a bit, a bit off. I thought they weren't, they didn't seem as up and about as. I mean, I think when Max kicked that that uh, amazing goal in the <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the hack from outside fifty, yeah, outside fifty. Um, oh, everyone got around him, but um, I remember when Isaac Smith kicked that one. Was it just before that, or maybe after that? Um, one Geelong player went over to him, and I just thought you could really tell the difference between the body language between the two sides. Yeah, it was interesting with Geelong because we kind of referenced this in the last episode too. Like They really were playing that slow, controlled game style and really not looking dangerous at all going forward in that first half. And almost out of necessity, they kind of flicked the switch a bit at the end of the third quarter, and they did get a bit of a rattle on. But I guess they kept trying to play like that in the last quarter as well, and... Uh, it did open them up a little bit that maybe they were a little bit easier to score against. So maybe there's something to that with, you know, Chris Scott and wanting to play this slow controlled game style. Like they, I know they've got a few young guys in there as well, but they do have a lot of older bodies. So maybe, you know, trying to actually slow it down is partly out of necessity just because if they are going to open it up a bit more, they might get scored against more heavily. It could be. It could be. Um, I think it was, it was really clear that um, Melbourne had a lot more fluidity to their style and things were sort of just happening, uh, just coming together. Whereas with Geelong, it was very stop-start and disjointed, like stifling momentum. And mm. yeah, it was a stark difference, yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's jump into match of the round. As much as we wanted that game to be match of the round, it wasn't. There's <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a toss of the coin. There's some really good matches. We considered... Uh, West Coast St Kilda with that massive comeback there, about halfway through the third where St Kilda just flicked the switch. The pressure went to 200 on the index. and West Coast, performance. They, West Coast could not cope with that at all. They were getting absolutely smashed in the clearances. But again, not the game we're going to talk about. We're <laughs> going to talk about the prelim final rematch, Port Adelaide versus Richmond at Adelaide Oval, Saturday night game. So, Dan, I thought this was... This was just a showcase of what you know what could be the grand final this year. If they said that this was going to be the grand final, I'd be I wouldn't be disappointed. This just I don't know they're they're forming a nice little rivalry here, and uh, I don't really know where to start with it. There was just you know you got two pretty skilled teams. Skills maybe not totally on display, but the you know the ferocity and the tackling pressure and just relentless efforts all around were just incredible. I thought, yeah, yeah, nothing was easy, was it? So. I think they, these teams do match up really well against each other just in terms of that um, ferocity at the ball and they both have enough 
you know, runners on the outside and playmakers to actually make things happen, even when it is really tight. So mm. it was actually Richmond who started a little bit better, building a two-goal lead uh, throughout most of the first quarter, but Port did hit back towards the end of the quarter to even it up a bit. But one of the things that caught my eye was Jack Rewalt finishing from the paint of 50, just a pure kick, as easy as you like. It didn't even look like he kicked it that hard, but it just sailed through. It was a beautiful kick. Uh, he he threatened to tear the game apart, Jack. Um, he was having a very good duel with, with Alira Lear, who I thought also had a great game. They really were both making good cases for taking home the chocolates. But, uh, yeah, um, yeah, he was kicking really well, Jack, and... Um, yeah, that, he was he was pretty much the go-to guy, I think, for all their attacks. Really, yeah, he had, he had that steely yeah. look in his eye, and his, the ball was coming off his boot very sweetly. So, definitely oh, a yeah. good game for Jack. <clears throat> but it was Port who was actually getting more scoring shots. So, particularly in the second, they started piling on the score, but most of them were points, so they were missing a lot of set shots. So, essentially, Port led by the seven points extra points they'd kicked by uh, by that point, which was to half-time. So I think at that point they both kicked roughly six goals, but Port had way more points. So they had more of the play. Richmond are their normal efficient selves. So I guess, yeah, some these shots pretty easy, Johnny. Like, what was going on with some of these misses? Well, I think it was, um, I guess, just the, the, the argument we keep going back to. There are just some really good chances that, that were missed and... Port definitely could have been a, a lot further in front at, at quarter time and, and maybe at half time as well. Um, but yeah, I guess they kept their intensity up throughout the game and uh, that's, I guess, what ended up getting them the points. But it, it does come back to that. Did it have to be that hard if they were able to convert earlier? I guess that's um, pretty common though against a side like Richmond, isn't it? Like Because you're playing against one of the best sides, then like it just seems that much more difficult to put the score on the board so often they're pretty good at absorbing, you know, lots of inside 50s and often there is more points than goals. So to actually like break through and sort of put a meaningful score on the board can be really tricky. That's true. And, and they weren't getting um, like the most easy positions for these set shots and that. But so, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So they were doing well, Port, but not quite enough to pull away. So it was actually Richmond who really owned the third quarter, building a six point lead by about two-thirds of the way through. But just when it looked like the game was turning away from Port a little bit, they went bang, bang, bang. So it started with their forward pressure, got a nice turnover quite deep. Houston managed to snap the goal. And a short time later, Richmond going back to Grimes. The kick went just beyond his outstretched hand and Rosie was there to swoop. And Archie in the back, he got the ball through with a nice snap. I thought Rosie was really, really important. I think he did come off at one point with a, a bit of a knock, but um, uh, he really set up a few good scoring chances. And um, He's silky, just, isn't he? There's, there's a lot of good kicks in this Port team. I think we've mentioned that before, but you know, guys like Butters, Rosie, Dersma, uh, even Houston himself, um, you mentioned before, uh, they're just really great by foot. And you know we like to watch the teams who are good by foot. Absolutely. And Port weren't done yet either. To finish the quarter... It was a 60-metre set shot from Hartlett. The guy on the mark was probably, you know, 53 out, but he had to kick at 60, and he's a massive kick, Hartlett, and he really got into this one. So at that point, it was an 11-point port lead at three-quarter time. 
There's a great bit of play there by Hartlett because he had uh, made a mess of that other one um, earlier and it was a, just a great way to, to make up for it. So in the last quarter, it was still Richmond coming pretty hard. A dusty snap characteristic over the shoulder got them back out into a good position. And uh, Port was actually able to get that goal straight back, though, through a free kick. So we never like to see that too much, but, yeah, it was probably there. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was. But, um, yeah, you make your own luck, I guess. Yeah, Richmond just looking really efficient from the from the bit of play I saw in this game. Like, didn't seem like they were getting heaps of opportunities, but whenever they got a good opportunity on like a turnover or they got like a good chain going, they looked really silky going inside fifty. I think most of their goals probably came from the turnovers. Um, so yeah, they're kind of team. They don't need that many forward fifty entries. They're always going to be threatening. Yeah. So with about six minutes left on the clock, it was Lambert who got on the end of a nice bit of Richmond play to put it through from the top of the square. And at this point, they had a two-point lead. But there was still plenty of time left, although it was a semi-low-scoring game. So with still four minutes 30 left on the, on the clock, a long kick went into Robbie Gray. And with a, a defender wearing him like a glove, I'm pretty sure it was Jaden Short. He managed to take a strong contested mark. Yes. So he had the shot. It was about 40 out on a 45-degree angle. What happened next, Johnny? <laughs> well, look, that's that's just Robbie Gray's pocket, isn't it? I mean, it, I personally, watching it, I thought, yeah, I, there's more chance he's going to kick this than miss this. I mean, we all remember the after the siren shot up in Brisbane last year against Carlton. It's just he's as clutch as they come, and, yeah, he flushed it. Yeah, it was a beautiful kick. It just went as straight as an arrow, so it never looked like missing. And he's, yeah, he's he's one guy who I think you'd be pretty happy to have kicking for your life. He never looks flustered in these moments. Absolutely. Got that, got that icy look of determination. And that was it, basically. Port managed to hold on. There are a couple of uh, scary moments late for Port supporters. So I think Richmond was surging it forward, and there was a big tackle late at about 50 with about a minute left. So that was probably Richmond's best chance. And um, Robbie Gray saved the day in defence as well. I mean, uh, I think it was Castagna um, had a chance to soccer off the ground and uh, Robbie Gray being aware of the deliberate rush behind rules and what he can get away with. Ah, uh, that's uh, right. Knew that if he rushed it from the goal square, it wouldn't be penalised. That was an interesting uh, one, was wasn't it? Because there were three Richmond guys relatively close to him, but none that were actually laying a hand on him. But because he was within that 10 metres or 9 metres, whatever it is, it... Uh, was not paid a deliberate rush right. line. Yeah. Do you think that was the right call? Like, I don't, I don't know the letter of the law there. Like, if you're not actually under pressure, it's kind of a judgment call for the umpire, isn't it? Because I guess the umpire would be saying he is under pressure there. It is, it is a judgment call, and I don't know if it's the best look to be allowing these guys to handball through the goals now. But um, I think to the letter of the law, it was the right thing. To yep. let that one go, um, but yeah, look, it's the more we change it, I think the more confusion there's going to be. They seem very lenient on that now. I think if it's within that nine meters, you can almost take it over for any reason. So it's only when it's further out that there's a bit of a problem for the person rushing. That's right. It. So yes, 
I guess I don't mind that level of black and whiteness with that, so wouldn't want to tweak that too much. No. All right, so what did we learn, Johnny? What did we learn about Port and Richmond from this game that we didn't already know? They played another high-quality, tough game, uh, plenty of good play and uh, moments throughout, momentum swings. Got to love the momentum swings. But what oh, did we actually learn about these teams? Well, look, if we didn't think it before, I think Port Adelaide is the real deal, and this is a team that can go deep in September. Um, yeah, that it's no easy, no easy feat to hang there with Richmond for four quarters. And they, and they did it. They did it with flying colours. So, yeah, I, I think we we now know that Port, they'll be at the pointy end of the season, I think. What about Richmond? Are they in any trouble? Or you still think it's just a matter of time till they get rolling? I think it's still a matter of time before they get rolling. I mean, it's... it's it, you do sort of remind yourself, well, Richmond's dropped two in a row now. But I do think that they are going to hit back and hit back hard. I... I I mean, you know, this was the prelim final from last year, so and they've gone over to Adelaide and two points. I mean, it happens. So I still wouldn't be too worried if I was Richmond. There's a, a long way to go. Yeah, absolutely. And as we alluded to in an earlier episode, they've still got a pretty tough run in the next couple of weeks. I think they play um, well, Melbourne in a couple of weeks, and I think yes, they've after this also yeah. got... Uh, Bulldogs coming up as well, so a couple of undefeated teams Big games. to have a go at there for the Tigers. Yes. All right, so that finishes up our recap of Match of the Round. So let's jump into a couple of topics now. So a couple of these champion data stats caught my eye. Just to look at the way the game is perhaps changing a little bit and what is actually allowing teams to get the upper hand. So a couple of things... We're a very good indicator of winning a quarter. So they've got a couple of interesting stats here, which I think tells you a little bit about how the game might be being played a little differently. Because I think both of these, if they were done last year, maybe it wouldn't have been as good an indicator. So what is it? All right. The first one is teams using the corridor coming out of defense more than the opposition are winning 65% of quarters. So that really bucks the trend and conventional wisdom of, you know, safety first out of the back line. If you're able to actually use that corridor more than your opposition, you're pretty much winning two-thirds of those quarters. It's a big swing, isn't it? I think, yeah, absolutely. Definitely, like, you see them bring it out from the points. A lot more of those are coming straight down the middle and, you know, you can get pretty good distance, so it's not as dangerous. But... I don't think it would be just that. So there's a pretty good opportunity to attack now coming out of defense with, uh, you know, being a little bit easier to hit those inside kicks with the man on the mark, not being able to move. So corridor use to get those good inside 50s, I suppose. That's what that's showing, to me at least. And that's probably the way it should be. I mean, in the past, it was always about, you know, if you could own the corridor, that was usually route one and that was the best way to go. But... um, then there became some other ways of playing it, but yeah, I think I think it's a, it's only a good thing if you can do, if you can do that, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's something we would want to be encouraging, and it'd be interesting to see if you know coaches seeing that would be actually encouraging their teams to actually do that as much as they could to you know get that advantage because it does seem like 
plenty of scorers being started by those uh, back half transitions. So the mm. other one that caught my eye was the team taking more marks on the lead is winning 66% of quarters. So I want to preface this by saying that this is marks on the lead all over the ground. So it's not just the leading forward, you know, leading up onto the wing or wherever. If you can get more of these lead up marks, you're winning two thirds of the quarters again. So, yeah, I think that really benefits the guys who are just quick off the mark and and creating separation from defenders. I mean, and I'd like to know what the statistic is for the marks inside 50 as well. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the team that gets more of those are winning the majority of games at the moment. But uh, yeah, that so sixty six percent. Wow, that's, yeah, that's it's pretty high, isn't it? Like, yeah. and like thinking back to last week's game that we took a look at Sydney Richmond. I think a hallmark of their play was those sort of shorter kicks coming through the middle, those sort of uncontested lead up marks, just to you know hit the short kick and then take the next best option, and also those kicks that are going inside fifty to guys like Tex Walker or whoever it is, the lead up forward. They seem to be in vogue with uh, it being a little bit easier to transition and find space through the almost a bit middle. like um, sorry, almost a bit like um, in soccer. I guess a, a team like Barcelona playing like a pass and move, pass to the open man kind of um, style, with short, quick passes and just keep moving. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that a bit with Melbourne on the weekend as well. So last year they would have tried to you know hit like a thirty or forty meter kick, which is a lower percentage option. Whereas what they're doing a lot more this year is either using sort of a 10 or so metre handball uh, or just like a shorter kick. So they've got more control over where the ball's going and it's a higher percentage. So you just sort of crisscross your way down the ground rather than taking like the lower percentage option. And also drawing defenders out of their position as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess, I know we keep going back to this, but (laughs) just the the more space that's available and... The fact that the man on the mark can't move, it's actually easier to hit these shorter uh, kicks and it does seem to have opened the game up. So, yeah, it's just a couple of interesting ways that, um, yeah, the game might be changing a little bit. Although, I guess you could say that last week's, like last weekend's action was a little bit of a regression in terms of the scoring. But even though the scoring dropped a little bit, it still seemed like the game was relatively open. There were some games where there was probably a bit more congestion, but I think the the benefit was that it was usually moving. It was, you were still having contests, and yeah, you know, it wasn't an absolute yeah. slog, was it? Like even Not in the quite. ones, even in the games where it was more congested, it was still breaking free, probably yeah. more often than the last couple of years. And it still, you still, yeah. most games still took a decent score to win. I, we talked about this a bit earlier as well. The fact that you know if you you need to kick like 85 or more points to win the game. That's probably a good thing. And still most games did require that on the weekend. Yeah. No. So one of the things we've sort of had on the back burner for a little while is um, thinking about how the game might be a bit different if we did something crazy and removed the point posts. <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't want to shoehorn this into an earlier episode because we might go a little bit deep here. So... We're not saying that necessarily the game would be better if we remove the point post, but it's a bit of a thought experiment. So what would actually happen if you did remove the point post? Or maybe a better way to think about it is, what if 
what would the last 20 years have looked like? How would the game have evolved differently if we actually didn't have the point posts? Well, first things first, I just want to set some of the, I guess, not ground rules, but um, I guess some clarity around this uh, concept. And the first thing I wanted to uh, discuss was what would the scoring system be? Um, Very important. A, I, there were a number of different versions of it that I had, but in the end, and unless you think differently, Dan, I've come up with keep the six points for a goal, and if the ball hit the post, keep the one point. Or if there was a rush behind or off hands through the goal, keep the point. Okay. Um, there yeah. were a number of different ones, uh, but I thought that was probably the, the most like what we had. Yeah, I was thinking uh, something similar. Pro- I would definitely keep the six points for a goal. I was thinking if it went over, like, as like a not a kick, so you as the team attacking, you could like handball it across the line. So basically, if it went over the line any other way other than a kick, I'd probably give that two points. Just oh yeah, yeah. But like yeah, one or two points, sense. like I'm not wouldn't be too fast on that. But yeah, I think it is important to have more than one way of scoring. Otherwise, it sort of just becomes like soccer, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, All right, so that's that's the that's the starting point. What else? So what else point. do we, we got? Um. So then. Based on that, I start to think about, well, assuming also that the ground is still an oval shape, which I think it would be, um, it would take a little bit of a similar approach, I guess, to Gaelic football, only the different shape ground. Um, How would this change it tactically? Well, I think there would be a lot less crazy shots for goal, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're, say, in the pocket, as you usually are, and you've got a chance to check side or banana, are you really going to go for that if it's just if there's a much higher chance it could just be out of bounds on the full? Yeah, so you're not getting the reward for basically having a shot at goal. So that's the main difference, right? So we're t- you're talking a little bit about there how, you know, teams are willing to take low percentage shots quite a bit of the time because they're still getting some reward from that, right? So if you take yes. that reward away, will they take less of those shots? I would say they probably would, yeah. And it may also become a little bit more like soccer. Sorry, I've mentioned soccer again, but in that that particular kick could be like a corner. They might just be hooking it back to the goal square now. Ah, uh, yes. A lot more often, yeah. So what do you reckon? Do you reckon like... If in this system where you can only really score a goal, like would a designated kicker be like more of a thing? Would you be trying to get it to, you know, your sort of like two or three best kickers to actually make the most of those forward thrusts? I think that would probably be the way to go, yeah. Uh, have you designated, you know, maybe a key forward is uh, becomes the most important player on the ground. What about like accuracy though? Like, do you reckon we've got we've talked about this before as well? Like, the accuracy is pretty low. If if the only way you could meaningfully score was to kick it through the middle, <laughs> surely that, surely that would mean we have a higher accuracy. You'd think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> You'd think so. Um, look, obviously, you'll still have the high performers and the guys who might have a a 45 degree angle shot or whatever, 45 meters out, and and they will have the the confidence to go for that shot. But um, yeah, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? If you were at training taking those kinds of shots, does that change the mentality a little bit? It's a good question. Yeah, so I guess like the whole idea of the accuracy is, you know, if if that's 
if that's the final way to score and like the whole thing is basically have to get it through the goals, there's no other option. Surely that makes that more of a premium. You know, like you have the designated kickers in rugby where, you know, they're the they're the guys that are the best at getting it through. So yeah. Like I'm not saying you'd have one one designated kicker necessarily, but surely there'd be a bit more of an emphasis on getting it to the couple of guys who are really good at taking the shots. <laughs> yes, and you know, just to throw a little bit of brain candy into this, maybe this opens up thing uh, a chance for the nine pointer again. <laughs> maybe if you can kick it through, uh, yes, six, if you can get it. Yeah, maybe I don't know, but that's that's another yeah that's another thing altogether. It's interesting, but. I guess a lot of what we're describing does seem like it's sort of taking away aspects of the way, you know, the game is played currently and, you know, what we really like about the game. So do you think it would still be like a good spectacle? Like, do you think, what what do you think this would actually do to the game sort of more broadly? The first thing that I think of when I try and picture in my head what this would be like is, I mean, it. I do feel like it would be sort of like the Gaelic football approach, but it, it also kind of feels like, I don't know why, but I, I start thinking about things like AFLX again. And like, um, <laughs> oh, no, just, don't. <laughs> it, beca- it just becomes a little bit of a, okay, so you've got your, yeah, if, even if you did have a designated kicker, okay, they've got to try and get it to him and he's going to be the, the hotshot guy that tries to have a ping. Like, you're right. I mean, the great thing about AFL football is it is so unique and there are so many players playing their part and anyone can kick a goal. I mean, even if you aren't a great kick, naturally, yeah. and, and you can still play that part. And maybe it wouldn't actually change it as much as we've speculated there. Maybe you still would have guys taking a lot of shots, and because it, it is pretty hard to always get it to you know the, the two or three guys you want to. So maybe it wouldn't actually change it as much. But I think we can probably agree that we're better off having the points there, as strange as it seems. <laughs> well, I think people really take the behind for granted because, I mean, think about the number of games where it's not decided by a goal. The, the scores are dead level and, um, you know, uh, there's a rush behind and, and, and that's the winning score. <laughs> um, it's something that's very unique to this sport and, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to see it go away. No, no. So although it does seem like, you know, you're sort of rewarding people for making a mistake... I think it, it does add that little bit of uniqueness that we love about the game. So let's keep the point, Bose. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> it is fun to think about, though. It's fun to think about. Would you, I guess the other thing is you might get like higher goal kickers because, you know, if you, you have a more concentration of uh, who's actually taking the shots, then you might get, you know, more goals being scored in a game by the one player, more goals for the year. So I don't necessarily think that would be a good thing either because it would just become sort of run of the mill but something else that might happen do you think just on that do you think you would need a front six if you were doing like would you maybe need a bit more space would you sort of go with four forwards instead maybe or yeah well like if you were so focused on only getting it to say three people it doesn't really make sense to actually be congesting it too much does it so you you would actually want to clear it out a little bit so there's more space for them i think that's definitely the case and like we have seen that over the years where clubs have a really dominant forward it's not uncommon for them to clear plenty of space for that one forward when carry is the obvious example yes 
with uh, Pagan's Paddock and all that sort of stuff. Would there be more numbers through the middle and, and the back line, maybe? Well, I guess they got to, they've got to be somewhere, don't they? <laughs> or would they have to come up with a few other rules to maybe look? Would zones come in? Would would they? You only allowed a certain number of players in in each fifty or something like maybe, that? Maybe, maybe, yeah. Or maybe you would actually need to have less players on the ground as well. Yeah, that could be another thing. Maybe fifteen on the ground as well. Yeah, sounds yeah. like we're, well, we're changing this way too much, but yeah, <laughs> it's getting away from us a little bit here. <laughs> oh, it makes you think though. You think. But yeah, like. Just going back to the way it is, like, I think it all makes sense. The only thing that, to me that d- maybe doesn't make that much sense with our scoring system is if it hits the post and actually still goes through the goals, like, could, could that be a goal? Like, why does that have to be a point? Like, I understand that, you know, it's hit the post, but, you know, I, d- I think pretty much every other sport, if it hits the post and goes through, it's a goal, right? So why have they well, decided that? Th- that was one of the scenarios I had in this, actually, is that if it hit the post and came back into play, play on. If it hit the post and went through, goal. Um, so that is maybe the alternative, the best alternative to what we were discussing. But it does make you... It, it, who came up with that? I yeah, mean, it's strange, it is isn't it? quite strange, isn't it? Another, <laughs> another little quirk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just... Yeah. Very, very, very unique. I think, like, if you were doing what we were talking about here with the no point post, you'd still have the kick-ins, much like you do for the points being scored. It would just yeah. be, you just don't get the point for it. And it, so, I think a lot of the other elements of the game would stay pretty similar. But yeah, just you have to kick goals, I suppose. <laughs> that's it. That's you still, it. That's you already have to kick go, goals, but you would have to kick goals even more. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You would still have to kick the ball through the big six. <laughs> Wouldn't change too much. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for indulging me in that chat, Johnny. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a beauty. Let's, uh, let's finish off with some true or false. So, we've got quite a few to have a look at here today. So, uh, first one true or false? Brisbane has failed to adjust to the new rules. So, obviously, this is in reference to their pretty torrid start to the year, and uh, they don't seem to have the spark, the spark they had, they've had for the last couple of years. True or false, Johnny? Cool. Very, very good one. Um, I don't know if it's if it's totally down to that. I think, look, they probably have struggled with some of these changes, but the number one thing that really strikes me with Brisbane is there's a lot of underperforming players at the moment. I mean, I just look at guys like Charlie Cameron and that. They look out of sorts at the moment. But, look, there is, there is definitely a good point there, I think, in that some teams are really taking a while to adjust to when to move and when to stay, you know, things like, yeah. Yeah, What do you reckon? Yeah, I think Brisbane were really dependent on our four-and-a-half turnovers and they, not so much last year, but the year before, they did take the ball wide a lot of the time. So they weren't overly attacking with their ball movement. And even last year, there were long periods where they weren't overly attacking. So when you're not trying to attack through the midfield and other teams are and there's space there, it's going to be harder to play against. And their forward line just seems completely out of whack. You referenced Charlie Cameron there. They've brought in Joe Danaher. He seems to be doing his job, but, you Being know, fair. he's uh, he's thrown out the balance a little bit and they've recruited another guy who's not a great shot for goal. So, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's just not working. 
for whatever reason. Maybe the new rules are playing a bit in that. So I guess we'll maybe say true-ish for this one. But yeah, it I does... do think you're right about um, that. They were going up a lot wider last year, and they do they build up to the plays a lot slower, I guess, than other sides. They like to slow the pace of it down, I think, a bit more. Yeah, the other um, thing is as well, Neil obviously is carrying an injury. We know that now. Like yeah. they they are very dependent on him out of stoppage. Like they've got other good midfielders, but when Neil is being held or is not having a good game, Brisbane struggled, and that's been the same for the last couple of years so I think he leads the way in that middle yeah. um yeah there's a bit of daylight between him and the next best um I guess coalface ball winner yeah so I guess there is always a team that does fall a bit uh you know who's finishing the top four usually one falls out and it's looking a lot like Brisbane this year obviously they've got plenty of time to turn it around but they're, they're not looking like a top four team at the moment that's for sure I still think they can turn it around but Looking at some of these games up ahead, it's not going to get any easier. And I think, yeah, look, top four could be a big ask, but I still think they can possibly make the eight. Yeah, absolutely. Be interesting to see how they track from here. But, uh, yeah, they need to find that spark. All right, true or false? Melbourne have the foundations of a top four team. This is a last-minute addition. Have to get Melbourne in here somewhere. (laughs) I'll have to... Check the hard in at the door on this one. <laughs> um, well, look, can they make the top four? Absolutely. I mean, I think their game style at the moment holds up. I mean, I th- they really sort of, they're in sync at the moment. I think the back line is really in sync, as we've mentioned a few times. Uh, you know, everyone knows when to peel off and when to help a teammate out, uh, and, you know, that sort of zone back line. Um Something I really liked yesterday was we talked about Geelong's controlled game style. Every time, it looked like every time Geelong wanted to do that and kick sideways and that, we were sort of blocking off the holes and that. We, we knew exactly when to sort of cut that supply and force them to kick long. So I think they've been really well coached so far this year. I mean, are they going to drop games at some point? Yes, they probably will, but... Yeah, look, they've got the, they do have the foundations, I'd say. I mean, you know, we haven't even seen Ben Brown yet, so there's no reason why they couldn't. Yeah, I tend to agree, Johnny. Like, they had a myriad of issues last year, and I referenced this in an earlier pod where I was saying what Melbourne had to do to make the, or to win the grand final I was talking about. And a few of these things are actually coming to fruition. Their game style seems to have, uh, you know, come along in leaps and bounds probably aided by these new rules, but it, they just look like a really settled team. They all know exactly what they're trying to do. They've got that look of a good team where they're not trying to do too much. They're helping each other out. They understand what they're doing. And yeah, I definitely haven't been able to say that about a Melbourne team for a long time. <laughs> and the improvement, as we mentioned before, it's come from the players that, you know, the sort of mid-tier guys, but even the guys like Jaden Hunt, they look like they've got their confidence back. They're you know, breaking out for he's breaking out for a few runs here and there, and they just look a lot more sure of themselves. Yes, I think that's a good way to put it. They yeah. they understand their role and they understand what the team's trying to do. There's not that panic that we've seen in Melbourne for the few the last few no. years in particular. So no, definitely got the foundations. Whether they do it or not is another thing, but all signs are looking good for Melbourne at the moment, and that'll uh, be. Good to keep an eye on as well. And, of course, we'll be doing that. 
True or false, Johnny? The rush behind rule is currently doing its job. We've already talked a little bit about this, but maybe we can go into a bit more depth. Or what do you reckon? Is it doing its job? Um, well, I guess yeah. I guess it is. I mean, um, whether it makes sense or not is another question. But I think it's going to prevent. Uh, it's going to prevent defenders from just um, you know going backwards all the time. So, I mean, we looked at the steel side bottom example. I mean, that I still don't really know what to make of that one. That was off the ground, and he was running pretty hard and I don't know how intentional it was, but um, I guess when they came up with this rule, that was probably what they were trying to avoid, things like uh, the negating backwards sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think one way you can think about it is if it's outside that exclusion zone of nine metres or whatever it is, it's almost like the goal line just becomes an extension of the boundary. So you're sort of playing by the same rules. So... If it would be deliberate out of bounds, then it's deliberate through the goals. You know what I mean? And they're pretty hot on that yeah. at the moment. It's the same principle, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're really hot on that. Like, there are some on the weekend that I think probably were a little bit over the top. <laughs> like a wet, greasy ball. Yeah. A Melbourne guy goes to kick it off the ground. There's two guys right there. There was obvious, he obviously couldn't control it and he got paid deliberate out. <laughs> and, so, and that's, yeah, that's where it's going to get a bit frustrating. Yeah. But yeah, like you're always going to get the odd mistake, but yeah, like it does seem like they're erring on the side of actually paying more of those, which is which I don't yeah. necessarily mind. But uh, no, no. yeah, it's interesting. All right, another one that you came up with, Johnny. True or false? Collingwood were the biggest loser out of round four. True. Um, <laughs> I... I could have made this the match of the round. Not that it was the match of the round, but I had so much, I had so much to talk about with this one. GWS had seven players under ten games. Uh, no Whitfield, Coniglio, Deboer, um, Bruce, Davis. It, this was a must-win game for the Pies. Um, you know, Shane Mumford played out of his skin against you know Grundy, who's. You know, we all know that the, you know, that multi-million-dollar contract he's on. I mean, he must love playing against Grundy. I reckon Mumford. They, I think they've won like six of the last seven games, and Mumford's generally been pretty dominant against he's Grundy. Just, a, he's a disruptor. Like he's, he's never. I don't even at the top of his game, he's never been the best ruckman in the comp. But he's hard to play against, and he gets under your skin and he hits you he's hard. Physical. Oh, yeah. he's physical, isn't he? <laughs> Um, he was pretty spent towards the end of the game, but uh, <laughs> I, I imagine, thought it was a yeah. great game. 35 years old. I mean, he's pretty much meant to be there as a, as a ruck coach. I don't think he was planning on playing every game <laughs> um, season, but yeah, it was a great effort. Um, some of the decisions uh, by the Magpies coaching staff really baffled me. Isaac Quainer going to Toby Green, I couldn't quite make sense of, I mean, They've obviously identified him as their lockdown guy, and he's he's actually a big fan of Quainer. I think he's a he, um, he's really shown some good signs early on. But to give him that role, and he was sort of playing off him about two or three minutes. You can't yeah, give you can't like do that with Green. Toby Green nah. that space, and and he kicked five goals, and uh, and they were too slow to react. They didn't they didn't make any changes. Um, uh, I just thought it was yeah. I mean, it was a disappointing night for for Pies fans. Yeah, absolutely. So. I'm going true for this one too. Huge losers, Collingwood, in this occasion. And uh, the same issues that have been dogging them for about a year are still there. 
um, connection through the midfield, lack of options going forward. If it's not Dugowie, who is it? They're a bit one pace through that forward line, and you know they shipped a couple of guys off, and it hasn't got any better there. So, you know, well, pe- people are saying, you know, it's kind of a bit of a reset now, rebuild maybe. I don't know. Like, what does that do to Buckley? Like, you can't. Well, yeah, yeah it's it's probably not the time in his in his coaching uh, career at Collingwood to have this challenge to deal with but um it's starting to become very obvious now it's like it's a bit of low-hanging fruit but the one midfielder that they are missing is uh, Adam Trelaw I mean they're missing that run and carry that speed and break away from contests um and yeah look I'm sure that I'm sure Pies fans are very still very upset about that so they don't need this driven home but uh yeah it's it's I mean, the other thing I'm finding with Collingwood is uh, the opposition is uh, is almost roving to Grundy now in the midfield. Uh, they're sharking his head out. It's a little similar to how um, opposition mids were doing to Max Gorn last year. Uh, and we seem to have worked that out a bit this year, but it's happening to Grundy now. Yeah, it's interesting with the whole sharking thing. Um, just in reference to the Melbourne games I've seen, obviously, yeah, in that first game against Fremantle, Fremantle way on top of the clearances, so they're doing well there. Almost what Melbourne's mm. been doing is um, either just trying to smash it forward, getting the ground and sort of hoping it falls their way, or just trying to make it kind of a 50-50 and then use sort of the big bodies around the contest just to eke it out. So they're, they're kind of not going for like the straight out uh, clearance win. They're almost just, it's almost like no. a nullifier in the ruck and then win it. And it's often actually gone on the ground who's helping get to get it out. So... It's yeah. interesting what they're doing there, but it's not traditional, but it's working. So, yeah. He's definitely, I think, simplified his uh, range of hit-outs as well. I mean, uh, I mean, he's got such a good range anyway. I mean, sometimes it's forward that way, over the back, you know. Like, um, he's sort of just kept it nice and simple for the mids now, I think. Mm. Yeah, And maybe, maybe that... Like, I know Grundy gets quite a few clearances himself when he's playing well, but yeah. maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe he's you know, getting it out into space a lot of the time, but, you know, the Collingwood guys aren't actually in that space. So not it always seems that like helpful. That, yeah. Yeah. All right, next one. Close finishes are preferable to an open style of football. True or false, Johnny? Oh, I think this, is, this has to be false. I think um, the open style of football, I think we're really enjoying that. Um, look, we all love a close finish, but this uh, open space, more chances of, you know, good contests and um, some good marks. Good, you know, some really good marks from the round. Um, no, I, th- I, I think that's that's what we like to see at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going false here as well. And if you wanted an example of this, I'm sure mo- many of you watched Easter Monday. It was pretty hard to watch for three quarters. Both coaches ultra conservative, not wanting to give the other team a chance to score. Slow, slow. Uh, Geelong with a better team, but kept Hawthorne in the game, and they fell over the line. So it got close late, semi-interesting, but yeah, give me a open game any day of the week over that. Yeah. Yep. All right, last one. The Bulldogs' forward line now deserves some respect. True or false, Johnny? Oh, I think this is definitely true. Um, the first guy I'm thinking of here is Tim English. I think if this guy 
wanted to be a permanent forward, he could be. I mean, he's really just providing a great foil down there. He's got good hands, hands, doesn't he? Great hands. Very good hands. And, and, you know, pretty good kick for goal too. So, yes, I think that they definitely, if you didn't know him before, you're going to know them soon. It's it's good that they have so many tall options down there now because for quite a while they were really scrounging to even have one tall option down there. So it all seems to be coming together. Being able to use Martin more in the ruck, English can play more forward. And, uh, yeah, he's a beautiful kick for goal for a ruckman. It, it's working very well, that sort of one-two punch. Yeah. So Bulldogs still haven't been scoring huge other than that game against North Melbourne, but they've been able to keep their opposition to pretty low scores. So uh, definitely doing the job. Uh, one of the three remaining undefeated teams, of course. And uh, I guess the supporters will be starting to think it's feeling a little bit like 2016, but maybe with a forward line as well. I think they might be least points conceded as well for their back line. So, yeah. They are, yeah. I think Melbourne's up there on that list as well. But uh, Bulldogs, I guess, with that game against North that I keep going back to, probably just ahead of them. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, that's about all we've got time for today, guys. So we'll leave it there. Uh, thanks to those of you who have helped to spread the love for footy time. So again, if you do have any friends or family who you think might like to listen to the podcast, please let them know about it. And of course, we can be reached at footytimemail at gmail.com if you've got any interesting ideas uh, of topics you want us to go through or just questions. Other than that, uh, tune back in next week for more footy time.